All right, this is the Coast to Coast Combat Hour. As always, brought to you by AllAccessMMA.com. Make sure you check out AllAccessMMA.com for your mixed martial arts news. Ed Carbajal and Matthew Hawkins here for you on International Fight Week. We're all revved up to give you our UFC 266 main card picks, as well as looking at some stuff from last week. Uh, before we move forward, uh, for this week's episode, for our audio and video uh, watchers, listeners, I spoke with Eric McGracken of Combat Sports Law. Um, we kind of did it on, off schedule, so I, it's pre-recorded. I dropped the link in the description if you're watching this on YouTube, and it'll also be you know attached to the audio portion of this podcast for this week's full episode. So um, I, Eric is somebody that, uh, Matt, I, just real quick before we move on, He's somebody that I've been following and reading his stuff before we even did this podcast or I even got into the media side of combat sports. And not for nothing, man, this thing we've been doing here with uh, this podcast, I mean, we spoke to Sean Wheelock. We spoke to, you know, Wonder Boy and, you know, a bunch of Jonathan Burke and all the people that we've connected to and been able to do this thing with. Um, it's been a, a real, real pleasure to to have this platform to do it on. So. Uh, one thing he said was like he doesn't make any money doing what he does with combat sports law and you and i we're not actually getting rich off of this we do it because we we have a passion for combat sports and and uh you know i think it's a a pretty cool uh episode to have this week with with, uh you going to ufc 266 and everything yeah no i think you said that great uh nobody most people in this sport involved in the sport don't do it for money so uh eric mcgracken's been a uh, a staple on on mma twitter especially for the last mm-hmm. uh half decade at least that i i've been paying attention and, and as you say it sounds like it goes beyond that uh yeah. before i i became aware of uh what he was uh you know what he was talking about and the knowledge that he was spreading throughout the industry but um but yeah uh it's ufc it's kind of a weird week now we had bellator 266 now we go into ufc 266 yeah um i I understand obviously ufc has fight nights but i don't think many fans would have expected that uh bellator would have beat uh the ufc to the punch of an event number at, at any point um so that's kind of a funny uh uh, yeah, no, not funny, but just an interesting little stat that, uh, you know, for a company that got a 10 year head start, uh, kind of a weird, actually more than that, they got a freaking 15 year head start. Uh, so it just shows that Bellator has been consistent putting on shows. And this past uh, weekend, uh, you know, they did it again. Uh, they moved, they went up to San Jose. Uh, just watching on TV, looks like they had a, a solid crowd. Uh, I wasn't sure what to expect. Uh, with ticket sales and you know somebody who kind of monitors that across the country for events, I wasn't sure how that was gonna were gonna work out, but it looked like they had a nice crowd and and they got treated to a, a fairly nice event. Um, you know, uh, one of the big stories to come out of that was your boy uh, Neiman Gracie uh, getting his first KO win of his career, uh, finishing Mark Leminger uh, early in the fight with a with a flurry that made him look more like Vitor Belfort as opposed to. Uh, or should I say Vitor Gracie, uh, as uh, as the old uh, <laughs> the old uh, switcheroo went with uh, John Hess back at, at early Super Brawl, uh, but um, yeah, I mean I don't know what you have to say about that. I other than the fact that I wish I would have known that he was plus like ten thousand, uh, the odds of a knockout in the first round would have been yeah <laughs> yeah. I mean that's uh, you know I ha- I had to talk about it for the video of. Uh, vlog or whatever it is I do for MMAnews.com and one of the things that I said was like you know what like what you know when you're in martial arts and fighting you know you, this whole thing is to try to impose your will on your opponent and 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 um, you know make someone fight your fight and when you come when you're coming into this sport and the last name is Gracie you know folks folks are automatically you know expecting a takedown and looking you know so I'm wondering how much of a benefit that was that he did like you know, he switched to Rafael Cordero to work on his striking, and it looked like it looked like uh, it really did pay off. But I'm just wondering, like, like is he really that much improved, or was it just a surprise that Leminger was like, "Well, I don't have to worry about getting hit by this guy because it's a Gracie," you know? Because it's, that that's historically, as long as the sport's been around and it hasn't been around that long, but that's kind of like I'm wonder. I just wonder like where that came from. But obviously, you know, uh, mixed martial arts is an evolved kind of evolved off of what the Gracie started with UFC one. And, and so now it's time for them to evolve with where the sport is at now. And that, that was really nice to see. 
Yeah, I I, uh, I I think that there was certainly an element of surprise. I mean, if you're Lemminger, you you don't exactly train for a, a, a stand-up battle, probably, uh, going into that fight. So there was the element of surprise. But the punches looked good. He looked like he had power behind him. That's kind of something in the past with some of the Gracies, uh, maybe maybe uh, high and out of the mix, is that most of the Gracies threw some punches, but they didn't really look like they were there to do any damage. And, uh, you know, the upper, I mean, I don't know if I've ever seen a Gracie throw an uppercut, you know? <laughs> so, so that, you know, I mean, I can think of the, the only Gracies I can ever think and of. And a nice a one too. Like yeah, a, no, a really clean, nice. Yeah. Clean, clean knockout. So um, it, it, it was cool. And it was cool to see that they, you know, I, I mean, I know that this is past, but you know, you go back in the, in the history of the sport and you had the Gracies, you had the Brazilian top team and you had shoot a box and they really didn't, intermingle too much it was it was more of a gang warfare kind of uh back in the 90s early 2000s so it's nice to see that i know that times changed and and stuff but uh to see cordero in in the corner of a gracie and and have it come out like that i mean you know i I, as a coach you got to be pretty stoked on that right like you you take over a gracie and you give him uh, you know a couple months of training and all of a sudden he goes out there and is uh is laying the wood to, you know, with yeah. to people like that. So uh, I, I thought that that was, uh, I thought that that was cool to see. And, and, and it really uh, changes the dynamic a little bit of that division because you, you go from, okay, he's just kind of, unless he gets your control on the ground, he's, he's kind of a fish out of water in other places. Now you're going, wow, this is, you know, and I, I wouldn't recommend he stand with like MVP and stuff. Oh, no, like yeah, that, of course you, know? Not, you know, you know what I mean? Well, so it's, hopefully... it's, it's the same thing. And that's, that's why it works so well for him because I mean, no one's expecting that, you know, it's the same thing. It goes the other way too. You know, no one wants to try to grapple with, with someone's mm-hmm. last name, Gracie, you know what I mean? Maybe some wrestlers would like to test the, you know, the, the, the impact of, of the way they grapple, you know what I mean? Cause that's always a rough, if you're a jiu-jitsu guy versus a wrestler, that's always a rough uh, – it's never a good time, <laughs> even, even if you, you know more subs than the wrestling guy. You know what I mean? No, so. but, you know, yeah. And and uh, what it does is it creates that matchup with Amosov down the line mm-hmm. where he talked Who he about, called out, yeah. Yeah, and he talked about it, and even the I think the announcers or maybe some people on Twitter, I was reading, acknowledged that his style in theory sets up a tremendous clash. Yeah. You know, Amosov usually takes you down and, and beats you up. Well, historically, you don't take down a Gracie, so your yeah. your option would be to stand and bang. And now, it's like diving into quicksand. Yeah. yeah, but now you throw in the fact that he's throwing punches, you know, and and, and with meaning. And all of a sudden, Amosov's got to go. Okay, well, I can't just yeah. stand here and kind of jab and move around the, the cage. Yeah, and that's what's funny because I mean, if you look at at, at Neiman's uh, build, you know, he's he's a wiry guy. He's got that ectomorphic body style. And just as there, as uh, Mauro Ronaldo was about to to kind of knock the Gracie's reputation for not being great strikers, the first punch that landed was Neiman Gracie's jab, and he even noted that that in the middle of him about to say something negative, he was like, "He's like, not, not, not well done" or something. And he's like, "And Gracie lands the first jab," and so he's got the reach. I mean, imagine. I mean, if you start adding some kicks to that guy, I mean, he's really he could really be like a, a you know, a complete mixed martial artist, not just uh, the standard, you know, Gracie submission master. Well, if he's moved beyond the, the worst jujitsu and this is all we do mentality that kind of uh, crippled the Gracies uh, once the initial era kind of ended. Mm-hmm. So um, if he's moved on that and it's going to become a full mixed martial artist, I don't see any reason why he doesn't establish himself as a continual you know, title contender and, yeah. you know, top 10, uh, Walter Waite in the world. So that was a great, that was, that was kind of the highlight for me. Uh, main event, uh, time came around. That was, uh, Yoel Romero making his Bellator debut against the debut against Phil Davis. Um, I kind of, you know, I, I hate to say it, but I feel like I kind of called it. We saw the first round where it was a lot of jabbing and dancing around. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then it just, you know, I, I Yoel Romero is a weird, a weird <laughs> thing to deal with in this sport. You know, you see this explosive animal at, uh, what is he? 44 years old now. And, um, shout out to the Gracie's from Z news boxing or Bo- Z boxing news. That's our boy, Danny. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Uh, I wonder if he made it out to the, was he at the Canelo, uh, chaos today? Oh uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's by all means, drop a comment if you were Danny, because that was, uh, you know, I feel like that cut that plant got over his eye is probably going to delay that some more. Maybe. Yeah. Who knows? 
Yeah, it was a November 6th, which uh, is, we got Canelo November 6th, a huge BKFC, and then the huge UFC event. So Same day, uh, yeah. That's... That, that day's shaping up. I'm hoping that that cut doesn't stop that fight, because that'll be a hell of a day to be a sports yeah. fan. But getting back to Romero, yeah, I just, you know, I... I feel like I, I, you know, I was at the fight when he fought Costa and I feel like that was kind of like his swan song, you know, yeah. since then it's been like a gun shy. Uh, it's been a gun shy version of him. And, and, you know, I, I, I don't want to get too bashy with these guys, but if he really thought it was a five round fight, then he shouldn't be fighting. it. We're talking about Holyfield. Mm. I mean, this dude doesn't even know how many rounds he's fighting then, you know, and I know, I know it's different. I'm not trying to compare the brain damage of of each of the two fighters when one's you know 15 years older. But dude, you got to know how many rounds you're fighting. If that's just an excuse, it's lame. Um, you know, your your fight output for your last few yeah. fights has been embarrassing. <laughs> you know, so I don't know. I don't know where he goes from here. Um, but I hate to say it, but it looks to me like he just kind of snatched a bag of cash from Bellator and and cashed it in. I mean, I, I mean, we'll see. I feel I feel like you know. They could still try to get something. I mean, we'll, we'll have to see. I mean, 44, the fact that he was even to, able to do – I mean, again, I mean, he didn't get finished. He got taken down a lot or whatever. He got – you know, he lost on points or whatever. And uh, shout-out to a lot like Damon Martin and a lot of other uh, MMA media, bigger names than than us out there just calling out Jaron Vallel's horrible <laughs> like, freaking, like, you know, just his existence as a combat sports official. Um, no, I mean, see, I know, he, I know he's glad. one of your favorites. Yeah, well, that's what I was going to ask you. I don't remember who – I re, I feel like Mark Munoz was involved. I don't remember he was the one getting choked or the person doing the choking that Jaron Villal ref the fight, and the person was, like, way past the eight-second mark of being submitted, choked out. They were limp. There was nothing going on. And the fighter, whether it was – again, I don't remember if it was Munoz or not, but had to say to J- uh, Villal, he's done. He's out. And um, I remember even like, talking about Gracie's. I remember even um, uh, what's the who's the Gracie that was just in the HBO thing? Henner Gracie even like went backstage and choked him. So he's like, just so you know what it feels like. <laughs> and it was just like you know because it was just such a bad call. And this is the guy that he's the guy that that uh, I mean. And I rewatched it, and I I could kind of see how you could go split decision for Beltor two sixty six only because. Um, there were points where you could see some apprehension in um, Phil Davis, which he also admitted after the fight, by the way, and during the media. Um, he's, you know, that that Uriel Romero's power never faded, even though he took him down. And the strikes, like the that glance, even were painful. The ones that, I mean, they didn't land solid, but Davis was fully aware that if anything did land solid, solidly, it was going to put him away because of uh, the leg kicks that landed. Davis said, like, you know, they weren't, you know, those weren't, even though he checked them after a while, it was, it was getting to a point where it was just like, I don't know how many more of these I can check, let alone him throwing them. So You're doing a quick little pull up here. So I do see at UFC 184, which I was at, I don't remember this fight, but Mark Munoz uh, did defeat Rowan Carnero uh, by rear naked choke. And the referee was uh, Jaron Vallel. So, so that, that might, that's probably the fight I'll have to go back yeah. and watch that. Like I said, I was at that one, but I don't recall uh, much controversy, but without what was the, it? UFC 184, 184. Yeah. That would be oh. Rousey and uh, Zingano. I want to go back and watch it too. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, okay. So the first round was, was possibly a toss up. Uh, but I, I don't see really the second round. You'd have to do a reach the third round. There's no way that's, that was clearly Davis's round. So, mm-hmm. you know, um, I'm more shocked to find out, and I don't, I'm surprised I didn't know this. I'm, I imagine I heard it, but just never crossed my mind. Is that Valel's like the um, he's one of the, like the co coaches for the the training for the the referees and judges and all that stuff with <laughs> with John McCarthy there out of out of Las Vegas. So um, I mean that definitely looks good. It doesn't look good, and um, you know the judging it's it can be wishy washy, but yeah. when you combine that with his errors well, that he's made in the ring and I, he's not somebody that was on my radar as much as mm-hmm. until you pointed him out i think it was when i was ripping apart herb dean one day you kind of said yeah. hey well check out homeboy over the, here the, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah there's worse guys out there and he's definitely one of them yeah. but um uh i mean back when you then I, I, now it's probably debatable but uh really quick the thing about judging too i mean shout out to uh past podcast guest sean wheelock who was calling calling the uh the thriller thing, I mean, one of the positives that came, I mean, he didn't get enough shine 
I was trying to blow him up on Twitter, and he's been, you know, he's awesome, awesome guest that we had on this sh- on this show. But uh, he was trying to, uh, he actually made a point about how the reason why judges don't always agree is because of their how they're positioned and stuff. And he he did it was a small, you know, few seconds of information, but but I found it educational and stuff like that. But you know, especially with a thriller event, you know, nobody's listening. They're probably tuned into Donald Trump's commentary. You know what I mean? And not listening to the to the dope knowledge that Sean Wheelock was dropping. Yeah, no, I look forward to talking to him again. I, I also reached out to him and just uh, congratulated him on a good weekend uh, between BKFC and the Triller. Um, I we you know we talk about it all the time. I think he does. He know where he's going to be in October? <laughs> we uh, gotta, that's a good question. For I, him because... I, I I reached out because <laughs> the event's supposed to be in Wichita, which is obviously his home state. Um, mm-hmm. So I oh, got because he said he was going to do the Teofimo Lopez Combosas thing, and that's that's literally like they're talking about moving that again. <laughs> so. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, then he doesn't know. So that does, I don't know about that. And BKFC is on the move constantly. So yeah, he's uh, he's all over the place, but does a great job. And again, uh, look forward to eventually having him on the show down the line. But getting back yeah. to this fight, um, this is uh, just really quick because Danny just posted in the in the comments that that's kind of what uh, Sean Wheelock hinted at about the angles and and person ringside angles, how they're totally different, and and that's part of the reason why. So a lot of people miss that. But um, go ahead. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. Yeah, no, no, no. I, and and that's good insight from from Danny as well. But I just uh, I, I I don't know. I don't know how we get around this because it doesn't get. It's not getting better. It almost seems like it's getting worse. <laughs> you know. I mean, I almost feel like we just need to get to the point where we go back to old school MMA, where they hold up a card with just a guy's name on it. Don't yeah. even embarrass yourself by giving us the, uh, you know, your score. Yeah, you well, know, and and it's it's uh, one of the I mean I'll talk about officiating and things like that. That's one of the things that McGracken and I touched on when we spoke. Again, that that link is in the description of the YouTube video, and it'll it'll be on the audio portion of this after uh, Matt and I are done with our picks. Yeah, which we need to get to, but real quick, just might as well you know. Obviously, props to Phil Davis. We're talking about Romero. Phil Davis looked great. Um, yeah, taken down Romero multiple times. Looked uh, <clears throat> looked as athletic as he's looked in a long time. Just ring general generalship or however the heck you want to describe it but i thought he looked great um i think he's in in a danger zone with nemkov and bader having lost to both of them already yeah. uh, multiple times so i'm not sure where he goes but um he became the all-time uh, bellator light heavyweight uh fighter with the most fights at light heavyweight so you forget how long mm-hmm. he's been in bellator but yeah uh, you know, he's becoming a staple for that organization and yeah. he's been a good, good employee for them. He shows up. He's not always the most exciting fight, but I don't recall him pulling out of fights or no. causing any problems. So I'm a fan of that. Yeah. And I was really a fan of how honest he was in his post fight uh, press, the post fight media scrum thing that he did. Excuse me. I mean, he was just really like, you know, he gave a lot of respect to Romero and, and was open to, uh, he was asked if he would be willing because you know how they, Julius Inglicus is stepping in for um, Rumble Johnson for the rest of the light heavyweight tournament. So somebody asked him if they needed another alternate. Are you there? Because he just got lost mm-hmm. to Nemkov. So he's he's out, but he's still ranked number three. And he, with this win, you know, they're kind of hoping that you, that would happen for Romero. But, um, you know, Davis is just, I mean, you know, class all around. And he he said, yeah, he'd do it, you know, um, given the timing and stuff like that. I mean, with, with combat sports logistics during the time of COVID, you never know what could happen, but um, no, yeah, that, and and he's always if he goes back to his wrestling base, he becomes dangerous to everybody. Mm-hmm. It's when he gets you know too confident, kind of dancing around, throwing some jabs and stuff, where the mm-hmm. fights slow down, and then he loses these close decisions. So and he and he never went for his Kimura. His his you know he's got a great Kimura, mm-hmm. and uh, but when you got somebody that like, especially again, he commented on it in the, at the post fight press conference, a, a dude that's strong like Yoel Romero, you're not going to Kimura that guy. That no, you'll probably no. break your own hands trying to keep more of that. <laughs> yeah, and he and and as much as you hate to say it, once you kind of got a fight in control, although the judges necessarily didn't see it that way, uh, you can't really mm. blame him for. But he was landing shots. I mean, he was he was more active than the the Phil Davis that pops into your head when you think of some of his uh, more you know mm. blanket style of fights. Um, and then again, real quick, we don't know the story behind Rumble Johnson, but if for some reason he hears about the show, just want to wish him the best. Sounds like he's got some issues he's got to deal with health-wise, and uh, it doesn't sound really good. So uh, best wishes to uh, Anthony yeah. Rumble Johnson and uh, his family as he 
embarks on trying to get over whatever uh, it is that he has to deal with. So that wraps up our Bellator coverage, but that moves us to UFC International Fight Week. Uh, my favorite week of the year. <laughs> uh, one I thought I was going to miss out on. So I am uh, beyond stoked to get the chance to uh, not only get back to Vegas for the first time since uh, what McGregor and Con- uh, Cowboy of January of whatever heck two years ago. Mm. Now I lose track of the COVID year killed us, but um, yeah. Oh, let me answer this really quick from Danny. He's asking who, who has the best Kimura you guys have ever seen. And uh, I mean, for me, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, not for nothing, I, I mentioned Phil Davis's Kimura a, a few times on this podcast. Pretty much every time he's fought, and we looked at the card. So I would say he's up there, and, and Sakuraba. Obviously I was going to say there. Sakuraba's. <laughs> I, I, you know, to defeat Gracie's multiple times with Kimura's. Yeah, and and the name is named after a man that hit that move on Helio. Mm. You know, so it's it's got history. You know, like it's a uh, bad luck for them, but. But uh, anyway, let's move on to this to this card. Yeah, I mean, but real, real quick, Gracie or uh, Sakurabas was so much more technique, uh, whereas mm. Phil Davis, while his technique, he's a strong, muscular, killer of a human being. So when you see a guy who kind of looks like Sakuraba doing it, um, that's that's what makes me believe that the technique is is crazy. But yeah, UFC 266, uh, man, stacked card. I I'm gun shy to really even talk about it because I've been mush more times than uh, mush mush himself. <laughs> you should stay your ass home. Is what you should do. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but we're here, we're going to make a run at it and we're going to hope that uh, it, it holds. Uh, so with that, starting off the main card, we've got a uh, female bout in the uh, 115 pound or I'm sorry, the 125 pound flyweight division, uh, Jessica Andrade versus Cynthia Calvillo, Andrade, uh, 21 and nine multiple time title challenger, uh, fight, uh, Cynthia Calvillo, who comes in at nine, two and one, um, man, one rough one to call. (laughs) There's a lot on this card. And, um, I, I just, for me, Jessica Andrade basically beats the hell out of everybody except Nunez and, and Shevchenko. Um, and she bodies up all these other girls. And I know she's kind of undersized, but I don't think Calvillo is necessarily a, a big uh, flyweight. Mm. Um, so I, well, I, I, I kind of would like to see Calvillo win this fight because not only will it, she's got a nice record, which translates into a, into a title fight, it, you know, on paper, it looks nice. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I, I, I just don't see it happening. I see Andrade just muscling her up and, and getting her to the ground and, and, I don't know how exciting the fight's going to be, but I just, I think that she's just, I think she's too strong for the vast majority of these girls. And, and uh, until I'm kind of proven wrong on that, I don't really know. I mean, you know, uh, Rose did her thing too in their rematch, but uh, Eileen, Eileen Andrade, I see that look on your face. It kind of scares me. We are, did I already mush one? No, no, just, <laughs> I just got an alert. You saw me looking back because I heard something. Uh, apparently we just had, we just had an earthquake here in New Jersey. Oh, well, welcome to uh, welcome to my world. We've had I mean, them when not I, for nothing. I've, I've had earthquakes during the show, and <laughs> now I, ha- I have the worst fucking sensitivity for earthquakes. Just FYI, so. at least it didn't shake any spiders on your head this week. Yeah, <laughs> I, I checked before we started, but uh, anyway, yeah, no, uh, Andrade, Andrade, she just seems like a, a like like I don't, I'm I'm never impressed by her technique or anything like that. And it's always power. Mm-hmm. Calvillo is actually the opposite. She's somebody that you know she's got a couple of. Uh, Submission wins her record, especially when she first got in the UFC. But, um, you know, it, it, it just goes back to what we were saying about Gracie's and strikers versus grapplers and all that. You know, the, like, I don't think it's wise for Calvillo to, to try to grapple with someone as strong as Andrade's. So I don't know, man. I, this is one, you know, I have my notebook out because I wanted to make my notes to, so I could write up my picks for MMA News and Sure Dog, and I'm having trouble picking one for this so i don't know man i guess uh did you i mean i i i feel i'm i kind of i think i gotta agree with you especially this is at 125 too yeah yeah i i mean uh, yeah i I mean i i just think that her strength until i see somebody kind of body here up and 
and and mm-hmm. I just don't I don't see you knocking her out. I, I don't. So once you kind of eliminate that possible end, I just I feel like that she's going to bring some strength to the match that I don't know mm-hmm. if Camille will be able to match up with. So, uh, but we go from the 125 pound women to the big old boys in the uh, UFC heavyweight division. Mm-hmm. Curtis Blades coming off of a knockout loss to Derek Lewis in a fight that uh, I'd say the vast majority of the MMA fans thought was a fairly big upset. He fights uh, Jared. Rosenstruck, um, <laughs> uh, in in and he's coming off a win over uh, Sakai uh, in a in a fight night main event uh, mm-hmm. recently. Uh, I I mean I kind of chalked the Blades loss to uh, Lewis, not to a fluke because I don't necessarily believe in flukes when you train for stuff, but mm-hmm. I do believe he is a better mixed martial artist than Lewis, and I think he would win the majority of the time they fought. Um, I think he takes Rosenstruck down, and uh, I actually think he probably finishes him early in the fight. I think it's going to be a first round finish, whether it's by elbows, uh, ground and pound, or possibly a Kimura, um, some, something like that. Uh, you know, um, so that, that's, that's the way I'm leaning there. I, if he's smart, he goes for the kill early and doesn't get stood back up. Once he gets down to the ground, he, he does it. We haven't really seen Rosenstruck unless I'm missing something. I don't remember mm. many fights of him on the ground. No, so. and if I'm looking at these stats here to see if I could help me make my decision, but you make a lot of good points there. Um, especially when it comes to uh, because Rose, Rosenstreich is a doesn't he have like isn't he like a really good kickboxer like doesn't didn't yeah he, like, yeah I mean that's his history is K one yeah. and, and and such like that yeah so, so but there, there's nothing on him just like you said about no his grab, there's mean, nothing there so that might be that might be uh that might be what, what what's uh the edge for the <laughs> the edge for blades but yeah <laughs> that, that might be the edge for blades so you know what man I, I you've convinced me I I'm I'm gonna agree with you on that one. Yeah, so and I we're, just, we're we're two two for two so far. Yeah, I mean, this is as much of a clash of styles as you're going to get in 2021. Really, you got a kickboxer against a guy mm-hmm. who's primarily a wrestler. So, uh, interesting fight though, and um, a a good heavyweight fight. Well, boy, and then we get this five round special attraction. <laughs> Nick Diaz returns to the cage for the first time, and why they got Nick Diaz long, looking like he's long... like way bigger, close up or something? Because <laughs> they still got to use a strike yeah. force picture. It looks like. Uh, yeah, yeah. He also, he's also about. 26 in that photo yeah that, uh, I mean, for folks Rob, in the, that listen to this on the audio <laughs> this is off of the ufc.com event page but yeah uh i don't know man i mean this is all messed up they have the, the overlay like yeah i'm sure yeah. that this is some you know uh, yeah so the, yeah the ufc page doesn't yeah do a lot of but uh i don't know man i mean this is an oldie but goodie like this is technically the main event for all of us og hardcore fans and the the other two fights are kind of like you know, like it's, it's almost like you know people want to see the this last or something. But um, I don't know. Uh, it's a hard one to call. I, I saw someone lay out odds for like um, Diaz by decision being like the best as far as you're going to put some money on the fight. Um, for folks that I mean, <laughs> it's so long ago. For folks that don't know, the the, the last time these two fought, Diaz won by knockout and um you know it's uh it's a been long, a long uh, time ago yeah. ufc 47 so yeah that's what we're that, talking 2004 or something like that right uh, yeah 2004 2005 yeah. right right yeah. in that range so yeah um gosh i whew, i i don't know i mean you're talking <laughs> robbie lawler is one of my all-time favorite fighters and diaz is not far out of that mix but he's just been gone for so long that yeah. it's, uh, it's hard to kind of keep him on that on that level as we've seen Lawler win titles and stuff since they last mm-hmm. fought but um, yeah but the last Robbie Lawler fights have not been good I mean we I'm talking about uh you know Yoel being gun shy and I hate to say it but we, we we've kind of seen that with Lawler in his last few fights um basically going back to the Covington fight mm-hmm. um I, I think stylistically the best bet, like you said, is a decision win for mm. Diaz. Um, I, I don't know if I, I, I don't, I, I don't know. I, I guess we can, we might find out how Diaz's chin. I think that yeah. might be the biggest story is as you know, Diaz used to kind of have a granite chin. He would yeah. go in there and he would out punch you, but he would take massive shots. You're not yeah. taking big shots from Lawler. If Lawler swings on you and hits you with one yeah. of the hammers, your, your chin's usually not holding up. So. And, and he's gotten stronger since the, they last fall. Like if anything, uh, Lawler has developed more power since their first fight, since it was so long ago. And as you said, you know, he, he evolved into a champion eventually, um, and the other, but the, but the other thing is the flip side to that coin is uh, we both Diaz brothers cut very easily. 
I, I, I don't, and, and, and this new era of, of woke MMA, if you want to call it like, it's, it's not UFC 47. This is UFC 266. And we have all, all new, new, brand new, sensitive athletic commissions all over that are going to see, I mean, and I'm, and I'm being a jerk. Cause I, I talk about this type of mentality when I talk to McGracken, but right now I'm, you know, this, this is the difference between the just bleed guy and the, and the, and the, analytic concerned fight person or whatever but i i could see this fight getting stopped if diaz gets cut and it's enough cuts and there's enough blood i i could see a stoppage coming and uh, not going to lawler in in that sense yeah i mean i guess the good thing in that sense is this is nevada so you mm-hmm. do have experienced while corrupt as hell at least you saw experienced <laughs> people um yeah. yeah i mean if we could petition to get doc lucas to uh to doctor this event i i certainly wouldn't dis- be disappointed um knowing his understanding yeah. obviously of the of the cuts and and when and when not to stop a fight um yeah. which some doctors don't but uh, i'm just gonna i'm gonna i i guess i'm gonna pick diaz by decision i i yeah. i don't i don't really know but um i just hope it's exciting like the diaz fight versus edwards at least for that last round because that set the table for the next two title fights the moreno figuejado mm-hmm. and then the uh in the adesanya uh fight <laughs> so i'm hoping that does it here um which that brings us to our first title fight of the night. Valentina Shevchenko fights Lauren Murphy. Uh, Lauren Murphy's been a nice role. Clearly the number one contender at this point, mm-hmm. but the number one contender in a division that is ran by the queen. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just don't, I don't, I don't yeah. see anybody beating Shevchenko anytime soon, barring a fluky injury, uh, eyelid cut, um, broken leg i i mean i'm not i'm not trying to mush this fight by saying this stuff but that's the, <laughs> o- that's the only way i see uh, shevchenko losing right now she seems like she's so on top of her game and i i, I mean there's has she's in the level of the the prime fedors the the prime uh khabibs the prime uh you know chuck liddell's even where we're like you're just like dude this person's just not gonna lose right now yeah yeah um, yeah so I, I i just see that um i see a head kick knockout first second round i i think i think it's going to be a violent violent finish yeah it's hard not to pick shevchenko here i mean and, and not for nothing i i really really like lauren murphy just i mean she seems like a great person um watching her fight her way from the ultimate fighter and, and just climb all the way up to this point right now i would love to see her win it's actually it would be really dope if she wins but as you said i mean this is you know this is the black widow the you know <laughs> she's like like yeah chain. she's yeah from marvel you know like she's she's that good she's just like assassin like and and i mean we tovon anthony who was on the podcast just made a whole music video about her because of how good mm-hmm. she is so if you haven't checked it if you haven't checked out aoxys's video he put that up on twitter earlier today yeah but, i mean yeah, if she yeah. if she was out doing like the 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 celebrity kind of shit that we see with some of the other fighters yeah, i'd yeah, be more yeah, concerned yeah. but i don't see that no she's all, training. all i see all is her training train. and yeah. occasionally going out and shooting some guns you know it's <laughs> like that's really all i see of her. So, <laughs> yeah, like yeah. I, it's hard you know she's not out at football you know football games or she's not doing like uh, you know, appearances she's not, she's, yeah you're not catching unless her, like, it's a gym yeah and stuff she she seems to still be as hungry to dominate as, as she's ever been. So I, I, I think she wins by total domination, yeah. which brings us to the main event. Uh, the coaches from the ultimate fighter, uh, world champion, Alexander Volkanovsky looks to defend his title versus Brian T city Ortega. Uh, I mean, I'll, I'll go first on this one again. I, I mean, I'm going to go with Volkanovsky. Um, I think he's, I think I'm going to go with him by decision. Uh, I think Ortega will be a tough, tough out to finish. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you're probably not submitting him, barring a uh, big punch leading to a, you know, catching somebody in a choke mm-hmm. or something. Um, so I don't see that happening. Um, Volkanovski obviously carries a nice punch, but I don't necessarily see a knockout there either. I think he's yeah. just going to be more active. Um, and I think he's going to do some damage to Ortega. Now I don't, I don't think I don't put Volkanovsky in the same boat necessarily as Holloway with the mass output and what he did to Ortega. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I see like three quarters of that happening and three quarters of that happening wins him the fight, probably, you know, four rounds to one. What's uh, what's his sole loss. Is it a decision? Volkanovsky's. 
his soul loss was a long, long time ago. Um, and he lost to a gentleman named Corey Nelson by a head kick and punches 13 minutes mm. into the third round mm. in 2013. Yeah. So, my, so it's, uh, if, if I have to go, I have to kind of, I don't know what I'm going to re- submit officially to the sites that I submit my picks to, but the way I see it is, I mean, if, if, we don't get a submission from Ortega by the first couple of rounds, then this is Volkanovski's fight to win only because, you know, with sweat and all that stuff becoming a factor. I mean, the T the triangle cities is going to be a, a hard, a hard uh, stop for Ortega to make, you know what I mean? Like, like as, as the fight goes on. And mm-hmm. uh, I mean, we've seen the Volkanovski's output and stuff like that. I mean, both these guys are in really good shape. So I don't know, man. I mean, it's, I, I of course, as a jujitsu guy, I want, Ortega to win, and he's also, you know, he's one of my peoples. Hispanic mm-hmm. shout out to uh, my fellow Latinos, Hispanic Heritage Month, which is half of this month and half next month for some reason, but um, I guess for marketing reasons, but yeah, but yeah, man, um, yeah, I uh, I'd like Ortega to win, but it's it's if it if it goes past round two, three, it's gonna be all, all Volkanovsky. I just hope that we get Ortega trying a takedown or trying a clinch or trying mm. something early in the fight. Because yeah. I feel like when we get these guys, other than Damian Maya, who all he does is spam takedowns, we get some of these other guys where we, <laughs> where we want to see what could happen if the grappling happens. And in a lot of cases, a guy like Ortega gets too beat up before he even tries that. Not not in a lot of cases with Ortega, but in yeah. a lot of cases with fighters like Ortega. Kind of happened with the Holloway fight, if I don't remember correctly, but I don't remember him ever trying really a takedown, maybe until like the fourth round when he was already bludgeoned, you know? It's and that's, like, that, that's why I said what I said too, because, of, mm-hmm. because you know, blood, sweat, all that stuff's going to be a factor, and your takedowns might as well be, you know, with come with Vaseline on them. <laughs> you know what I mean? So you're not going to get the traction you need, especially the type of takedowns that he goes for. And I don't see him. I mean, he hasn't done a flying triangle since he first came to the UFC. I don't see him trying that against a guy like Volkanovski. That would just that wouldn't make any sense. But maybe it's something like that that you have to do. I mean, I, I'm yeah. not saying that you you telegraph it, but like something like that might be what it takes for him to win mm-hmm. a world championship. Yeah. I don't know if he can just stand there and bang and win one out. Um, it's going to have to be to me. It's going to have to be the element of surprise. You know, it's going to have to be the Neiman Gracie throwing punches. It might be him doing something like that, maybe a rolling knee bar or something crazy. And 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 that and even if it doesn't finish the fight, mm-hmm. something that gets the fight down to the ground and at least puts it in Volkanovski's head, like whoa 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 this is not i'm not messed this is a different animal this is yeah. this is a world-class guy that i do not want to be on the ground with so it'll be interesting to see how that happens um they have the hall of fame this thursday night uh gsp going in and and honestly i i i, um, I don't know if i'm gonna go or not i'm still kind of up in the air but uh the idea of maybe seeing uh mark coleman induct uh, kevin randleman kind of yeah uh, i mean kind of gets me the most to, to yeah. maybe maybe pull it off which is something he had been asking for since 2016. You know, he had a, he had made a very emotional plea to the UFC. I think I have that on video somewhere. I have to go looking in my my SSD. I might have that on video. But he, I mean, he, he made an emotional plea to the UFC to get Kevin Randleman inducted to the Hall of Fame. And if you don't, for folks that don't know, you know, they're, they're training partners, close friends. Randleman passed away. Um, you know, far too young. A lot of guys miss him. And he's, if you want to, if you really want to know who he is, if you see a, a highlight of Fedor getting dropped on his head, it's Randleman dropping him on his head. Mm-hmm. So it's uh, definitely something. I mean, hey, that's worth going to, man, if you can make it. But I know things are weird trying to make it to stuff. So, um, but have fun out there, man. I mean, uh, you know, put, put your stuff on, on uh, your socials so folks can, uh, you know, follow your. Or put it on the combat mm-hmm. sport, our, our podcast. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I, hope, I hope to. I hope to uh, get <laughs> to some of the fan fest stuff, um, and, and certainly the event, and then and then uh, weigh-ins, and, and as much as I can get to. I, I just uh, the Hall of Fame. I went to the last Hall of Fame <laughs> induction, and it's a long show of sitting there and listening to guys talk. Mm-hmm. So it's not necessarily like get fired up in Vegas kind of mm-hmm. thing, but uh, but but. The, idea, the chance to see a uh, sober, good place, Mark Coleman right now, uh, give a speech about somebody who's meant to so much in his life and meant so much to the sport of no holds barred uh, mm-hmm. and then MMA. Um, it, 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 you know, I can't see it in replay and all that, but 
that would yeah. be something that I would like to be there and support and um yeah and and give my all right well you know have fun doing it we got to close this out we're already over our time yep yep we're after our time <laughs> remember your interview with Eric McGracken uh following this show fans can follow us at allaccessmma.com whenever they want to find our video podcast follow me uh on Twitter at MMAHawk21 also on Instagram at MMAHawk21 Follow the show at Combat Hour on Twitter, Coast to Coast Combat Hour on Instagram. Follow Ed at Carbazal on Twitter, Carbeerzal on Instagram, and Old Head Carb on Twitch. Ed, I think you got some action tomorrow night too. Not MMA, but uh, some fun. Real uh, fighting. <laughs> some fun uh, <laughs> pro wrestling. So I'm glad you get to get out and see an event there on the East Coast. Have a great night with uh, you and your uh, homeboy. And uh, look forward to talking to you over the weekend, brother. Have a, have a great time. And uh, Everybody, thanks for listening. Enjoy. All right. This is Ed Carbohol uh, speaking with uh, – I've mentioned his website so many times on the podcast, Eric McGracken of uh, Combat Sports Law. Eric, I know I broke your balls a lot to get on this podcast uh, to do this today. I really do appreciate it. Generally, when somebody blows me off, I don't really chase him, but you do so much good work for uh, just for the education of fight fans and athletes that compete and stuff like that. Uh, you're someone that that the work you do is matters more than my own ego. So thank you so much for making time to come on. Yeah, no, Ed, thanks for having me on. It's nice to meet you. And persistence is a good thing. So uh, I you know, didn't mind you following up. Uh, happy to be on. Uh, well, I mean, again, the stuff you've been doing, I mean, I, I honestly think you've been running that website, uh, Combat Sports Law. Um, I actually made the banner for folks. I, again, I mentioned it. I was saying it before we started recording. Um, I mentioned, I've mentioned your website so many times when we talk about things going on in the business of fighting when it comes to not even just that. I mean, because you, you've, you've shared information about like CTE and, and just stuff like that in general. So um, how long have you been running the website? Yeah, it's com it's coming on ten years now. I forget I forget the date I launched it, but I think I think it was just over nine years ago. And I I started the website just after attending a local fight. Uh, it was the first time post law school that I went to a live fight card, and I just sort of started digging into uh, the the legalities behind the event. And that event ended up being a smoker. It was illegal because back then. All non-boxing full contact cards in Canada were illegal. And so from there, I just started digging into the regulatory side of the sport. And I, I thought I'd run out of things to talk about after a while. But here I am 10 years later, still digging into these stories. Yeah, and they really do need to be dug into, especially with the growth of the sport from back then to now. Um, one of the things that I enjoyed, I mean, there's guys... Like I know Luke Thomas has tagged you in tweets just because of your expertise and your background. Can for folks that aren't aware, can you just let folks know your background? And, and I mean, it's not just a blog you're running; you actually do have expertise in the field. Right. Well, I'm I'm by background a personal injury lawyer, so so I sue people for a living. I've done that <laughs> for uh, close to twenty years now. Graduated mm -hmm. law school back in uh, two thousand two, and I've practiced almost exclusively in injury law uh, for those two decades. Uh, on the combat sports side of things, I don't have any wonderful pedigree. I'm, I'm a licensed MMA judge with the BC Athletic Commission. I'm a licensed kickboxing judge. I'm a licensed pro boxing judge. So I understand combat sports. I'm involved with them, at least on, you know, on the administrative side of things. And I'm a hobbyist practitioner. I've enjoyed the sports most, most of my life. Um, but it's just the intersection of those two knowledge bases. So understanding administrative law, understanding how athletic commissions work, understanding how these sports work, understanding how they're regulated. Mm. And, and as an injury lawyer, understanding health and safety issues, be it, you know, be it weight cutting or be it brain injury or be it uh, just safe regulation of sport, all that stuff sort of is mixed together and running around through my head. When yeah. I'm watching these sports and I'm listening to the stories and I'm commenting on things. Yeah. And that's one thing I notice about, it. I mean, I mean, I know we follow each other on social. We've been probably for a while, but I know for a fact, I've been following you longer than, than you were following me just because I created Twitter out of, uh, uh, I wanted some more Dropbox space or something, you know, like, like 10 years ago. And then I, I kind of fell into covering the sport of mixed martial arts and you're, 
you've always shared so much knowledge that that's what drew me to your website and drew me to you. And then eventually we wound up following each other. Um, if, if you don't mind, I actually have your website. I want to bring it up here because uh, you do uh, bring it. I mean, you always you're, you're never uh, out of uh, <clears throat> it's never old stuff. Like you talk about the Florida licensing standards and stuff here. So is it just your own like your own, I guess, not your curiosities and, and I guess things that irk you that make you uh, dive into these things and start writing about them? Yeah, yeah, I think that's really just about it. The, the website started. You know, I, I mentioned I went. I went to this, you know, basically smoker event, and mm-hmm. and I dug into how it's legal, and it wasn't. And mm-hmm. what fascinated me is it wasn't even really a smoker. Like it was, it was legally it's a smoker. It wasn't a lawful event, but nobody cared. Everybody mm-hmm. thought it was above board. It was advertised. It's on television. All that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And it, it just sort of blew me away that the laws are being violated with society turning a collective blind eye. And that, that then around that time is when MMA, a push was being made to amend Canadian laws to let MMA be legal. Mm. And, and so the criminal code federally was overhauled and then provincial commissions were created. And so from there, I just started digging into various in the U.S. state commissions and in Canada provincial commissions and how they're doing their business. Like I just, I just sort of dorked out on this stuff. And again, I thought over time I, I, you know, just naturally lose my interest or move on. But you know, like you mentioned, Holyfield here, fifty-eight boxing licensed out of Florida. Yeah. The stories just seem to keep popping up on my radar. And I don't get paid for Combat Sports Live. Never tried to monetize the site. I do it because I enjoy doing it. Mm-hmm. I've had some folks reach out to me over the years offering me paid gigs writing, but I think that would zap all the joy out of it. Like I, I, yeah. I talk about these things because I find them interesting and because I'm not compelled to talk about them. So there's no deadlines. I don't have a quota. I don't have to get out so many articles per week or month. So if, if two, three months go by and nothing piques my interest, I'm quiet other than talking trash on Twitter, yeah. but, but on combat sports law, yeah, really if if health and safety or other regulatory issues uh, get on my radar, then then I talk about them. And and if there's not much for me to talk about, I don't mind a month or two going by. I don't feel any pressure to crank out these articles. Yeah, I mean, not for nothing. I mean, you just said like it's something you do out of passion, and that's something I can appreciate as somebody that I mean, like I cover the sport. I don't make a lot of money doing it. When I started, I didn't make a lot of money doing. I didn't make any money doing it. And I, I mean, it, it came over time and it's nice, but if, if you're not passionate about any, anything that you pursue, then, then it, it really can be um, something that you definitely would, would brush off. And I'm glad you didn't do this because I've, again, I've learned so much from reading your stuff. I mean, again, like dummies like me and Matt, that, that the, my co-host on the, on this podcast, that unfortunately couldn't be with us right now. Um, you know, some of us, especially him, I'm going to break his balls a little bit because he's not here, <laughs> but especially him because, one of the things that I always um, kind of get on him about, and I think we're all guilty of this, when we're watching these fights, you know, we become the Just Bleed fan, like, you know, that meme that you see with the Just Bleed. Like, a lot of us, we're watching it, and we get bloodthirsty, and we're enjoying it or whatever, but then it's uh, it's almost like we forget that we forget that some of these guys are getting taken for a ride with their contracts, and then we forget, like, all the, the damage that's done behind the scenes that, that they carry with them. And, um, I mean, I, I know you watch and you live tweet with the fights, and – do you ever find yourself uh, dancing on that razor yourself? Like, I mean, man, I really enjoy what I'm watching, but some of this stuff I, I kind of have to write about the messed up part of it. Yeah, that's that's a great question. And um, I think the best way I could answer it is, y- yes, I have I have grappled with that reality. Like, this is dangerous and, and in many ways very ugly stuff that we're watching, that we're enjoying. And I make my peace with it by being very blunt about the dangers of the sport. I don't, I don't make excuses for just how brutal of an industry it is and just how brutal of a career it is. I can't take all the things I learn as a personal injury lawyer suing people for traumatic brain injuries and other uh, long-term harms that, you know, that, that my clients sustain and prosecute these claims and then turn on combat sports and pretend these men and women getting knocked unconscious and, uh, you know, taking years off their life and quality of years off their life aren't suffering the same harms. And so, so I try not to put on the blinders 
when I watch the sport, it might be one day I just stop enjoying it, understanding you know the long-term harms that that come from it. But I think I'm pretty open to those realities. And the reason, you know, you followed my stuff for a while, there's I'm, I'm sort of a broken record. Like I only have so many themes I pick up on, but the main one is trying to keep the regulators honest. Like these men and women that run the state athletic commissions and provincial athletic commissions, they exist for fighter safety, first and foremost. I mean, if you're cynical, you're going to say they exist to bring money into the state Mm -hmm. and bring business into the state. But if you want to look at it through a legal lens, they exist to make sure the sports are run relatively safely and to have some health and safety standards in place for Mm -hmm. fighters. And, and so, so when I watch this stuff, just want to be really blunt that look, brain injury is real. CTE is real. Mileage is real. If somebody's sustain too much head trauma in their life. Post-career consequences are real. The, I, I always plug this book, but but Tris Dixon wrote a book earlier this year called Damage. I don't know if you have ever read it. He's a boxing guy. And it's it's maybe the best book I've ever read in combat sports. He he didn't come at it with an anti-boxing agenda. The guy loves boxing, mm-hmm. but he went around interviewing a whack of retired fighters and it's Mm. just horror story after horror story after horror story and he didn't do this to shine an ugly light on boxing he was basically saying look i love boxing but this is the end reality of it and and i found that book very influential i think he he does a better job telling the story than i ever could but but if you follow these sports and and you're a fan of these athletes you have to understand if they're in the game for any appreciable length of time, they're going to have some really ugly chapters on the back end of their life. And mm-hmm. if you still enjoy the sport and you appreciate that, I'll, I'll just speak for myself, but for me in terms of, you know, just to answer your question of how do I still enjoy it, I'll advocate for fighter health and safety issues. I'll advocate for fair fighter pay issues. I'll advocate for better contract uh, landscape to exist for fighters and promoters. I'll advocate for legislative change. And I'll be really blunt about the the science of fighting, right? When there's when there's um, peer-reviewed articles that come out shedding more light on brain injuries and CTE, I try to give them the you know the limited platform I can on mm-hmm. on combat sports law. Oh, sorry, I just gotta mute my phone there. Um I'm, I'm so unconfident. I can't even mute my phone here. Um, but but I was going to say, I actually really appreciate Kirik Jenis at MixedMartialArts.com because whenever mm. I write these health and safety articles, he'll republish a lot of them on, on the UG as an article at, at MixedMartialArts.com. And that's the place where all the regulators go. If you're a state athletic commissioner and you're looking up somebody's official fight record or you're putting in the fight record, you go to mixedmartialarts.com. So I know my articles, they might not reach a very large audience, but I know they reach the audience of the men and women who regulate the sport. Mm-hmm. And I like I like being sort of repetitive, making sure these issues are out there. And I love the fact that Kirik does get my my information in front of those regulators. Yeah, I mean, that's that's great. And I've, I've, I've seen you repost those when they get published there your stuff and um one thing i mean you didn't mention it but i'm gonna I'll, I'll mention it for you i mean you're definitely i mean you've i've seen you sponsor like fighters and stuff too just because it, it again it's it's almost like like I, I get it too because again i'm a hobbyist myself i mean i, I do jujitsu for now and striking it so i've been the mountain martial artist for almost 30 years now but um you know again as a hobbyist seeing these people's uh, pursue their passions you do, you're doing what you do to sort of help them on the end of of, of with the legalities and, and the cte stuff but you also help them support when you when i've seen you post stuff that you're sponsoring fighters you're also helping this you know support their their passions and their dreams too so i just wanted to put that out there and add that to what you just said because uh, i mean again you I, I don't want anyone to think that you, that that your 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 site is like attacking anyway it's more like educational for both fighter and fan that's the way i take it anyway yeah no i appreciate that i i do enjoy um you know sponsoring if there's a up-and-coming fighter that that uh, gets on my radar so the last one i sponsored several times actually is serena de jesus who is in invicta now and i, I 
I, I think she's one or two wins away from making it to the UFC. So I'd love to love to see that happen. She's the first professional female fighter with an autism diagnosis. She's very vocal about it, and I'm more than happy to oh, yeah. do what little I can to you know to support this early part of her career. But yeah, look, I you know I enjoy the fight game, and I enjoy you know just from the outside looking in or, or participating as a judge, you know, like as a as a middle aged white collar <laughs> paper pusher. I mean, that's at the end of the day what I am. I enjoy participating in the sport as much as I can, and and I don't really feel I have an agenda when I do write my articles. I try to be open minded. Like I'm not you know anti promoter or anti UFC or. Uh, anti-fight game, but there are exploitative practices that mm -hmm. it's tough to turn a blind eye to, right? When you see, you know, like when you learn men and women are taking home 18% of yeah. a cut in yeah. the UFC, and, and then you point that out, and then the promoter calls people that talk about it scumbag media. Yeah, You know, they just don't like it talked about is, is the reality of it. And, and, you know, again, just, I always tie this stuff together, but, but, you talk about health and safety and then you talk about fair fighter pay. Those things are connected, right? The guy mm -hmm. who needs to take another fight and another fight and another fight. Well, if you're making, you know, if, if 50% of the revenues are being split by the roster instead of 15, you do the math. That's to be in the same economic position. You got to fight uh, three times as much under the current system as opposed to a 50-50 split. That's a lot more damage you have yeah. to take to make the similar dollars. And, and these are things that can be remedied. And I think the one thing I enjoy seeing is, is people understanding the poor state of fighter pay. Not everybody. There's some people that will always sort of root for the promoter. I, yeah. you know, I, don't get, I don't get that mindset, but I know it exists. But more people seem to understand that there is exploitation in the sport. More people seem to understand that there are, you know, legitimate health and safety concerns. And, and I think there's at least a slow shift of perception in, in, in that positive direction. But again, I don't, you know, I don't sort of come, mm. come at my articles trying to uh, be anti any certain promoter. Um, I, I just like to have reasoned discussions about this stuff. Mm. Yeah, no. And that's one of one. So one of the things that I think the last time I brought up you and your, your website was when um, <clears throat> all these fighters, High profile fighters got cut from 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 the UFC and they were signing, you know, Bellator, PFL. And I remember when I was having the conversation on this podcast with Matt, I mentioned it. I was like, this is something I'd like to ask uh, combat sports law. Um, I wonder if that's and this is again, this isn't just me being a dummy, uh, you know, conspiracy theorist, whatever you want to call it. So that's why I'm glad I'm talking to you so I can ask. Do you think when you see that happening, that's just a move by the by the bigger promotion to kind of have the later have the argument and say, no, we're not a monopoly and we're, we're giving them opportunities versus the arguments against them. Like, do you think that's just happening as, as a, you know, kind of like their chess play as, as far as the long game and, and protecting themselves? Yeah, maybe, or, or it could just be simple cost savings, right? Like, mm -hmm. like I was chatting about this the other night. I almost can't help myself. I'm, I'm like a moth to the flame. Every time I see the contender series, I can't help but see it for what I think it is. Mm -hmm which is not just sort of cheap content out there, but it's, it's, it's almost a message. It's a guys on the roster. Look at how many people want to be in the UFC mm -hmm. and look at this flood of new talent. Every Tuesday we're signing up on, you know, whatever the contract is mm -hmm. 10 and 10 or 12 and 12. Guess what? People, people tune in to the cards because of the brand UFC. Yeah. Sometimes you've got the big headliner that really pumps up the numbers, but sort of card after card after card, the promoter created their business. So fighters are replaceable cogs in the machine. You're not, you're not dependent on certain people being on the card to tune in. Mm -hmm. They get the same number of eyeballs week in, week out. And again, you have the spikes, you've got the McGregor's of the world. You've got the breakthrough stars that really, you know, really push the numbers, but week in, week out, it's UFC that people know, not mm. fourth fight on the undercard. People don't yeah. know that. And, and they could sign this flood of talent to keep giving them the content they need to fill their uh, television deals that they need. They just got to produce the content and mm -hmm. they, they've got a new crop every week coming in through yeah. the contender series. And so if you have that guy on his 10th, fight or 12th fight and he's more of a known name but he's not bringing in those massive pay-per-view numbers the promoter's thinking i don't gotta pay this guy a hundred grand i could pay 
that guy 12 grand and have that next fight on the card. And, and they're very, um, you know, you know, the promoters are very cost conscious in terms of how much they're paying the fighters. I mean, mm-hmm. they draw a hard line in the sand. So I think that's probably more what's going on as opposed to, hey, we've let some of these bigger names go and we're not a monopoly and the promoters could, other promoters could compete for this talent. I think, I think they're just probably pinching pennies um, if I had to guess. Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes sense too. I mean, it's, it's cheaper to, uh, to build stars and keep a star, you know? So, yeah, you know, it seems, it seems the business model is get as many people under contract that might be breakthrough stars. And the one that be like, like, it's just a, you know, it's, it's a meat grinder. Like you, you sign these men and women up and, you know, it's, it's part of what people love about the promotion. The good people fight good people. There's not a lot of career cultivation, like mm-hmm. kill or be killed. And now oh, you killed a few in a row and now you're becoming more of a star. Well, we got you under a pretty nice long contract and we don't have to pay you too much. Mm-hmm. And geez, you lost a couple in a row. Well, out you go. There's the door. And, and I don't care if Bellator signs you up. You're some guy who couldn't hang it in the UFC. That's yeah. the way they could always spin it. So they've got a very clever and successful business model underway. I mean, they've got the feeders coming in and they've got a big bloated roster and they could make cuts whenever they have to make cuts. And they have enough of the top talent that when you get these breakthrough stars for you know whatever moment makes somebody sort of get over, I don't think there's a lot of promoter predicting it. Like out of the blue, you have a guy like Masvidal, who has been there forever and, and, you know, three piece in a soda or whatever. And, and the mm-hmm. guy's over all of a sudden, right. Even yeah. though he it was an exciting fighter to follow for years before that. But yeah. so long as you have these guys under contract, when they make it big, then, then the promoter monetizes it. So mm. do you ever, uh, does it ever, I mean, this is my last question, but does it ever, this is something I say a lot. Like when, when people see fights get made versus fights that should get made, you know, um, I always say, remember who owns the UFC now. You know, that's Endeavor, WME, IMG was a modeling company. So when they put somebody that's more popular versus someone that's fought their way, you know, through all the ranks and has been right there, like for me, Justin Gaethje keeps getting getting the short end of the stick. You know what I mean? And, and they keep making the other fights that are more, you know, fan friendly versus giving someone that literally just fought for the title not so long ago. So I was just wondering, I mean, does that ever cross your mind when you're looking at when you see fight announcements and you're just like, wow, you're you're really just this is just another modeling agency, but you make them fight each other. Yeah, so 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 and that's maybe like the Sage Northcott and the Paige Van Zant era where you know a lot of people were critical about the the spotlight they were getting because they you know, you know, like they were good fighters. I don't want to be negative, but but they weren't yeah. elite of elite, yeah. but they were getting a push as if they were the elite of the roster. And and people are critical of that. Um, you know, I guess I guess if you're the promoter, you could push whatever you want to push and whatever's gonna sell, whether it's the absolute best or not. But but their business model largely does seem I want to be careful how I phrase this, but but it largely does seem to be to let the cream rise to the top with the exception that you better be playing ball to get a shot mm. at the title. John Nash put together one of the best videos I've ever seen. If you go if you go to John Nash's Twitter handle, I think it's Hey Not The Face, and he's got a pinned tweet uh, that just takes you to his YouTube channel. I can't remember what, what he calls his YouTube channel, mm-hmm. but he breaks down the UFC monopoly Oh yeah, uh, claims. I posted that. Yeah. Did you watch it? It's it's a hell of a good watch. It's it's only thirty minutes. Yeah, you know, you know, like if you're not into that stuff, it'll be a dry thirty minutes. Mm-hmm. But it's thirty minutes, and it'll explain the arguments of why the UFC is a legal monopoly, not mm-hmm. not the only show in town monopoly, but a legal monopoly. And part of what he drills out from there, and this is all stuff that came out through the antitrust lawsuit. Mm-hmm. But what he drills out is the average contract length of somebody who gets a shot to fight for the title right so so if you're really good and you're you know number one number two number three ranking whatever it is looks like the promoter wants you to be locked into a long-term deal before you get a shot at the strap and and so part of that is in play as well and so we 
the sort of consuming audience, we don't ever know the fine details of who's where in their contract and who's playing ball with the promoter and who's not in terms of, in terms of the shots they get. But also, you know, like if they could promote a pretty face that's going to sell, mm-hmm. or if they're going after a certain market, like if they want to go after France or they want to go after China or they want to go after whatever they see as a new market where they could make a lot of money, I'm sure they're crunching numbers. And I'm sure some of their decisions about who headlines a card or who gets a shot at a title, I'm sure it's influenced by those kinds of factors. I mean, yeah, at the end of the day, the dollar is king. This mm-hmm. is this is a promotion now owned by a public company, right? So it's on the stock exchange. Anybody could buy some shares and and they're you know, they're accountable to investors to keep fattening that bottom line. And so I think anything the UFC does it, you know, they're doing it with that, with that in mind. Yeah, no, that's that's definitely uh, food for thought. But Eric, thank you so much for for taking time to talk today. I mean, I know you do other content. You have your your own YouTube channel and stuff that you're doing, so your socials that you want to put out there. So by all means, let folks know where to uh, follow you outside of your your website. Yeah, well, well, combatsportslaw.com, there's, you know, there's the main stuff if, if anybody's interested in the types of topics we covered here today. But Twitter is where I waste too much of my life. So if you just if you just follow my my name's my handle on all my social media, Eric McGrath. And so uh, you could follow me there. And um, if you interact and you're not an asshole, I'm happy to follow people back. <laughs> that's that's my very simple rules for, yeah. for social media interaction. Anybody who's not a jerk, I'm happy to happy yeah. to interact even if we don't agree on things yeah um, uh, you and, can and, discuss things and not be a dick yeah <laughs> yeah no, no that's right that's sort of a good a good uh <laughs> set of rules for life <laughs> exactly exactly and really quick um the book damage you said it's by tris dixon t-r-i-s yeah and then dixon d-i-x-o-n so so if you want a hell of a good read it's it's sort of like a page turner from the get-go but it might make you fall out of love with combat sports mm. as well. It's one of those very no, sobering definitely. reads where there's just not a lot of happy endings in, you know, you know, like, like these MMA stars of today and you're seeing it a bit, right? You've got the retired generations already. Yeah. You're seeing some hard miles on some of the pioneers of the sport, yeah. but 10, 15 more years, there's going to be a lot of similar horror stories that exist in boxing like that. That last 10, 15 years of a fighter's life is often very, very sad. And, and so, yeah. Um, damage paints that picture for boxing and you know again if you if you love the sport just have your eyes wide open that that is happening in mma and it's going to continue to happen just because if if brain trauma is part of the occupation those are real consequences and there's nothing magical about the sport that makes um the consequences disappear just because you know it's on pay-per-view yeah, no, I mean, again, thank you so much. You definitely make a, a lot of strong points. And again, guys like you, I think the sport needs guys like you to be on social, to be, to have websites like this. I mean, to, to there's there's not enough out there. You know, the two, there's too many, there's too much rah, 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 and just going with the flow and not, not recognizing, you know, that these, that these uh, athletes aren't just pieces of meat to go out there and, and, you know, for our entertainment, they're, they're human beings too. That's kind of why I, I cover the sport too. I, I try to tell those stories, but again, that's why I don't make a lot of money because not everybody wants to hear them. So, but uh, thank you so much. Uh, again, um, combatsportslaw.com. I usually refer to it a lot during the website, but uh, you know, this is a uh, pre-recorded for folks that, that uh, it'll be on the, uh, the uh, September 22nd episode of uh, coast to coast combat hour. But thank you again, Eric. Appreciate Ed, it. My pleasure. Thanks. Hey guys, Ed here, East Coast side of the Coast to Coast Combat Hour podcast. If you like what we're doing, make sure you subscribe on YouTube and anywhere you listen to podcasts. Also, if you'd like to help us out and donate, uh, the support links are in any of the uh, podcast descriptions and the links are also provided on our YouTube channel, The Blogboard Jungle. Um, Thanks again for listening. And if you give us some support, we'll give you a shout out on the podcast, maybe... uh, bring you on for a UFC pay-per-view breakdown or two. Thanks again.